Living the word, I'm so excited to be in your living rooms, your homes again, as we are hashtag technically together. Are you excited about the transition of weather? Like we are still in winter, but it ain't as bad as it was last week. Can you prophesy to yourself and says it's not as bad as it was last week, okay? That's something I think we need to hold on to as we find the silver lining and the transitions that we are experiencing. And I'm here to tell you transition is a part of growth and growth is a part of expansion. Expansion means to get uncomfortable at times. So thank you for being made uncomfortable and growing with us. You all have really charged the front of the line to say we are here and we are here in a robust way. Well, we get to kick off a new series today and it's titled A Bold New Statement. A Bold New Statement. Now, let me just share with you what we've been discussing from January till now as we have been wrestling with what is the heartbeat of our church and what is our mission? What is what is our future look like? And so we started off with this uh, title, A Bold New Discovery, as we were talking about the three components of our vision statement, which led us to say, what are we are going, what are we going to discover about our purpose, our vision and help others to discover well, that first component was to find healing, that literally God came to heal the soul that's been wounded by our own sinfulness. The next series was a bold new course. What does that actually mean? Well, we believe that as our church, we need to laser focus on our wins and talk more emphatically about our purpose. And part of that is helping people restart their fire. Well, now we get to come to the last part of our vision statement, which is a bold new statement, and it is make a difference. We wanna help people make a difference. We want people to discover who they are so that they can let the world see how they have been assigned as a gift to the world. Making a difference is the third component of our vision statement. It carries this idea that we are called not just to exist, not just to consume oxygen or to flex our possessions, we're not just called to pursue pleasure and plan for fun. We're called to do much more. When the Reformation was taking place, the Protestant movement, even before that, there were these uh, principles of the Christian faith that was brought together in this word called the catechism. And it was a word, it was a question and answer based format that helped Christians and those who were even in the Catholic faith to discover what are they supposed to be living for, how are they supposed to be living, and by what standard? Well, one of those catechisms was called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it posed this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer, it's loaded, here's the answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own but belong to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all of the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him? The answer, did you catch what he said there? Is that I am not my own. See, if we, if we think that we belong to ourselves, we've missed the call of the Christian faith. 
We're not our own. We're not our own. We're not ourselves. We don't own ourselves. We don't we don't have possession of ourselves. Yes, we are to be stewards of ourselves, but we are owned by a higher deity, namely Jesus Christ and God. Now, let's just deal. Let's just dig this out for a few minutes here, because I think one of the fundamental principles of our modern day Christian faith is that we have this idea that we serve God with our minds and we serve our we serve we serve ourselves with our bodies. So we we say, God, I give you my mind, but I give myself my body. And God says, no, 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 no. I own all of it. That when we come into relationship with Jesus, it's not a bad ownership. It's a value ownership. He places value on us and he lets us know how appreciated we are. Can I just pause for a moment and share with those who are looking in that God values you? And though, so when he uses the word own, he's not talking about in some horrible way, but in a way of, of, of prized possession. You are God's prized possession. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, where we pull this thought from the New Testament, it says these words, and I think it's important that we get this. Look what he says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for we are bought with a price. So glorify, glorify God in your body. My brothers and sisters, we could further this conversation and I want to give it to you in the way that uh, Ephesians puts it to us. He gives us a powerful truth. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. No, notice how this ownership keeps unveiling itself as being much to our benefit. We are God's masterpiece. We are the pieces of the master. See, your status as a masterpiece is true, not because of how healthy you are or how accomplished you are or how moral you are. You are a masterpiece because of what God has done in your life by his grace. You have been made new and wonderfully created through Christ so that you might live in relationship with God and for the glory of God. So the question that I have with you today, the question that I want to wrestle with you on today is, are you willing or waiting to make a difference? Let me just ask, ask that one more time. Are you willing or are you waiting to make a difference? See, the last component of our vision statement says that we are, as a church, called to help make a difference in the world, which means you, the church, are to be mobilized to change the narrative of evil to good. Yeah, you are may you may not feel like a hero. You may not feel like you are the ninth inning home run hitter, but you are the person on first base. And if another person comes up and hits a double, then you're on third base. And if another person comes up and, and lays down a bunt, then you are at home. You score for the team. So are you willing or are you waiting to make a difference? Most will say that they are waiting, but only a few will say they are willing. Some will even say they are willing, but with condition. The conditions are tied to whatever is popular, Whatever brings light, shine, notoriety on the work they are doing. The problem with this is that the body is not just a hand. The body is not just 
a foot. The body is not just a finger. The body is not just a toe. It's, here's the revelation, a body. It has two hands and two feet and two eyes and two ears and two lungs. It comprises of a collaborative uh, component of working together, collaborative reality rather, of working together and not celebritizing its parts. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 says about that. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. Pause for a moment. Let me put some revelation in this. I think that 21st Christianity is always focused on its one part. What part do you play and how is your part going to outshine someone else's part? And how is your part going to be? Here's another. Here's a new word. Monetize your gifting. And so we have created a culture where everyone comes to the church looking for a way to monetize their gifting and not give their gift back to the master who gave them the gift in the first place. So the church, the bride of Christ, has to suffer because you would rather monetize your gift than be a part of a movement that allows light to shine in darkness. And God says you're not just made. The body is not just made up of one part. So although you might play a part, he says there are other parts that play a part, which helps us to get to this reality that we are a body of Christ. So the question again is, are you willing to make a difference without condition? See, I asked you in the first part of this that, that are you willing or are you waiting? Now I ask it more specifically. Now are you willing to make a difference without condition? See, Jesus gave this powerful truth in Luke 9 and 23. He said, if people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. Uh-oh, that's not American. That's totally not American. And that is not today's church. Notice what he says. If you want to follow me, they must give up. Oh, no, God, I don't mind following you. But you mean to tell me I have to give up my three-year plan, my five-year plan, my seven-year plan, my vision board. I have to give up my, my accoutrements. I have to give up my comforts and conveniences. <laughs> God says, yeah. See, if you're following him, the question I want to ask you is, what are you giving up? See, I, I see more of the statuses of today being about what you have gained, but not what you have given up. What you have gotten, but not what you have sacrificed. So let me go on. He says, if you want to follow me, Jesus says, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing to give up their lives daily to follow me. So are you willing to make a difference without condition? There is a familiar story in the New Testament. It's a story of four friends who wanted to make a difference in the life of one of their friends who was in desperate need. And it's a powerful story found in Luke, the fifth chapter. I want to head on over there and park around this text of scripture. It says these words. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Then it says some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19 when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This is an incredible story of guys who wanted to make a difference in the life of one gentleman, one friend, one neighbor, maybe a relative. 
It doesn't give any of their names. In fact, if you go back, you will say that four men, it doesn't give them a name because I believe God in his wisdom is speaking to this culture of idolatry. That if we have the names of those four guys, then they become the centerpiece of the story. But it doesn't give a name. It just says four men was carrying one man. He doesn't even give the guy who was healed a name because the center of the story is who they lowered the man down to get healed by. The center of the story isn't the part I played, isn't the sermon I preached, isn't the song I sang, isn't the way I played this or that instrument. The center of the story isn't how I greeted and how I and how I and how I, but the center of the story is Jesus made a difference because I was willing to give up what I wanted. So I want to talk to you in, in brief, in a brief, brief way, some ways to make a difference. I want you to begin to flesh these out in your personal life. And I want you to hear me from a from a church leadership point of view. And I want you to hear me from your own personal uh, leadership point of view. So I want you to make a difference. And the first way that you need to make a difference, you need to be willing to let your life be interrupted. Be willing to let your life be interrupted. I would love to tell you that your life will be a perfect mixture of harmony and sensibleness. It will not, my brothers and sisters, uh, to be used of God, we must get used to being interrupted. Yeah, yeah. In this story, Jesus came back to town and no one knew he was back in town. It was a surprise moment and there were no plans for him to be. That word began to spread about, about him, him being in, the, in town and, and preaching and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers of the law of God all gathered around, crowded the house out. The word spread that Jesus is here and that he's back in town. It spread like wildfire and these four men heard that Jesus was in town. They had hear, heard the story and had been hearing how Jesus was healing the sick in every other town. When they heard the story, these four men came together. They had a convention with each other and said, what can we do to get our friend to Jesus? Can you all take some time out of your schedule? Can we modernize that? Because I think we skip over the part. We just go to the fact that four men carry one man like they didn't have no life, like they didn't have anything else to do, like they didn't have any gardens to tend to, any children to tend to, like they didn't have a wife that was at home, like they didn't have a, a health appointment, like they didn't have some, some things to do. No, we just read the beautiful thing they had done and then we say, well, that's a great story. But let's go deeper with these men and begin to flesh out the reality that these men had personal lives that was full of complication, busyness and all kinds of erratic abnormalities. But when they heard that Jesus was in town to make a difference in the life of people who could get near him, to hear him, to 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 be healed by him, they all came together and said, let's get our friend. And let's carry our friend over to Jesus. Now, here's what you all have to hear me say over and over again, that we 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 want to make a difference. Yes, we do. I know you do. You're called to make a difference. There's something bubbling up in you. There's a fire on the inside of you. You are tuned in on your phones, your computers, your TVs right now because you sense your call to do something more than just consume. 
You're called to make a difference. You're called, you're called to be more. You're called, you're called to activate purpose that allows others to feel that you are a solution to the world's problem. I'll never forget this story, a uh, true story of mine that a friend of mine uh, and I were meeting and we had just departed ways. And uh, it was about maybe five to eight minutes between the point we left the building. We were at the church together, and this was about five years ago, maybe seven years ago now. And we had left the church together, and uh, we were going our separate ways. I had scheduled uh, an appointment at a steakhouse. I was so hungry, and I could not wait to sit down and be served. It was a treat to myself, and I had already imagined the flavor of the steak, and I had already imagined the beautiful butter that was sizzled down the warm meat. I had imagined the bread. I had imagined the salad. I had imagined the baked potato fully loaded. I had it all ready in my mind, visualized and ready to conquer the, the, the avenue of hunger. And so I was headed to my appointment and my phone rang with my friend who had just departed, who had just parted ways with me. And I figured it was a, a mistaken call because we just got done talking. Well, it rang again. So at this time, I figured that, well, it's probably him trying to get uh, my attention. So I answered the phone call, and he is frantic on the other end. He says, hey, I, I, I had a blowout on the highway, and I almost got into an accident because I had to veer across two, uh, two, two lanes on the highway to get over to the side. He says, man, I, if you're not too far away, can you come and help me? And I'm telling you, without a shadow of a doubt, I made my U-turn, uh, located where he was, and, and within a few minutes, I was on the highway, on the side of the road. Now, keep in mind, we were both coming from church, and so his tire had blown out. He was frazzled. He had almost ran into a semi-trailer. It, it was just tragic if it was not for the grace of God. And so he was like stunned about what do I do? And at the time, he didn't have roadside assistance. And so I said, well, where's your spare? We begin to locate all of the parts to his car to put the spare on. And I am literally now the guy that has to jump into action. I get on this wet ground that was next to the dirt, next to the grass. Now I got mud on my knees. I got grass stains on my pants. I am looking underneath the car to find where I put the jack so that I don't mess up the frame. I'm doing all the work and he is there, but he is not there. And I'm jacking up the car. I take off the first tire. Hands are just, just full of dirt and is littered with dirt from the tire. I pull off the, the messed up tire and the wheel, put the spare on, bolt it down. He's off to the, he's off to the races. He's thankful. I'm inconvenienced. I made a difference in his life. A friend was in need. A friend was frazzled. A friend didn't know what to do in the moment, and I inconvenienced myself. I allowed my life to be interrupted. My steak, my loaded baked potato, those beautiful rolls, that salad that was, that was my anticipated goal had to be paused. Because now I had dirty hands, dirty clothes, wet clothes because I was on the ground, but my friend was well. See, my brothers and sisters, the question I have for you is, are you willing to let your life be interrupted? In today's time, we are fighting the counterculture of the reality that very few are. But if you're going to make a difference, you have to be ready to be interrupted. 
In this secure the bag era, we place profits over people, pleasure over purpose, opinions over obedience, and being offended over being healed. Like some of y'all actually gloat in the fact that you were offended because being offended gives you the victim story, which allows you to trauma bond with people you would normally bond with. And so you get an audience and you get people to fan the flame of your hurt because you don't want to be healed. Because to be healed means you are now responsible to make a difference in the world. Today, I feel like many want to make a difference from just typing a status on social media or complaining to friends loudly or by conveniently extending some advice that was not asked for or by following the fads of our day, the styles of our day, the trends of our day. Very few see making a difference as, being in, as, as including being interrupted. Listen, to make a difference means we get unselfish. We might even feel unproductive when we're making a difference or delayed like everybody else getting what they want but me or skipped over. But the voice of reward that we aim for is these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Whatever you do, my brothers and sisters, can I encourage you that when you start the path and the journey to make a difference, don't get distracted. Don't look back. Jesus puts it this way. He says, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. My brothers and sisters, can I appeal to you? Have you let someone get in your ear and hijack your plan to make a difference? Have you let some people who are well-intended get around you and ultimately convince you out of being what God called you to be? Have you allowed the wrong voices to be your counsel? Have you allowed the wrong friends to be your advisement board? See, my brothers and sisters, what is distracting you? In the chat for a few seconds, I want y'all to name some distractions that are competing with God working in your life. Go ahead. Let's just call it out. Just, just name some distractions that are competing with God working in your life right now. Name some distractions that are competing with God working in your life. You know, as you begin to tally those up, let me ask you something. Is one of those distractions or are one of those distractions the pursuit of wealth? Is it because you want to make more money and, and more money and more money, more money, 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 money? Right. Is it money? Is it busyness? Are you so busy you cannot sit still to hear God long enough? Is it is it that you're so busy you are doing the work of God without spending time with the God of the work? See, as long as I have my agenda, it, it won't work, my brothers and sisters. As long as I have my agenda, as long as God's agenda is secondary, it, it won't work, brothers and sisters. As long as I keep doing what I want to do, it won't work, brothers and sisters, which leads me to the second way we can make a difference. We must be willing to change our attitudes. I have to be willing to change my attitude. Notice the text of scripture says, um, these men, in Luke 5 and 19, when they couldn't find a way in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and removed some tile and let him down in the middle of everyone, right in front of Jesus. Now, I want to pause for a moment there, and I want to part in this thought that there wasn't a way in because it was a crowded house. So they made one. 
They were willing to do something different. They were willing to be different in order to make a difference. Isn't that interesting? In order to make a difference, we have to be willing to do something different. Church, wake up. Listen, there are so many of us who pray for revival. We pray for renewal. We pray for the change of the God. And yet, when something new is introduced, we fight it with everything we got to kill it. To make a difference. We need to do something different. What is insanity defined as doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? See, to make a difference, you have to be different. Your thinking has to be different. The way you process information has to be different. The way you engage friendships. Pause for a moment. If your entire life is spent around making enemies instead of allies, and that's all you do, like there is a there is a, a fiery trail of ashes and burnt buildings that, uh, that follow you because everywhere you go, you burn down the relationship, the connection, the potential. You burn down, you burn down what God intended to bless you, and then you champion it on Facebook like you're the hero of the saga you started. Brothers and sisters, I called that out because I need us to get over ourselves. The world is dying and needing you to step into the gap, but we're too busy playing the harp and the violin of our frustrations and you're making beautiful music for the depressed. And I don't mean that to slight no one who's fighting depression. I know what that feels like, but I'm saying you're making music for the wrong crowd. My brothers and sisters, hear me loud and clear. The attitude the friends had is the attitude God wants us to have. That is, whatever it takes to get there, we must get there. They were willing to care about what God cares about, which is people. They were willing to care about people. Can I even add this truth to you for those of you who might be saying that maybe for whatever reason, that you might find yourself in this position of wanting to see differences or wanting to be a difference maker and wanting to see something different in your life. That here's what God says about pe people, <clears throat> because people matter. People should be concerned about others and not just about themselves. This here is so counter American that some of y'all tune me out. Let me read it again. People should be concerned about others and not just about themselves. Okay, I know you missed it. Let me read it one more time. People should be concerned about others and not just about themselves. The last component that I want you to uh, at least embrace process through church leadership and then your own personal leadership is this, and I conclude, I'll conclude. Do what I can, when I can, as often as I can. I stole that. I'm going to just let y'all know. I saw it somewhere and I said, that is a beautiful point to be made. Do what am I willing to do what I can when I can as often as I can. Here is the text of scripture that you need to hear, but we'll get to that in a moment. I want to share a story with you. And I think this will help us to hone in on this point. There was a wise man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had the habit of walking on the beach before he began the work so he could unwind and tune into nature. One day as he was walking along the shore, he looked down the beach some way and saw a human figure moving like a dancer. He smiled to himself and thought, you know, that he wanted to meet the guy and maybe he would just be inspired by what's making him dance. 
And so as he got closer to the gentleman that looked like he was dancing, he noticed that the figure was that of a young man and that what he was doing was not dancing at all. The young man was reaching down to the shore, picking up small objects and throwing them into the ocean. He came closer still and he called out to the young man, good morning, young man, good morning. May, may I ask you, uh, what, 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 are you um, what are you doing? What are you doing? The young man paused, he looked up and replied, he said, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. So I must ask, uh, why, why, are you, why, are you throwing, um, why, why are you throwing starfish into the ocean, uh, the, the, the wise old man said. He says, uh, the young man replied and said, well, the sun is up, the tide is going out, and if I don't throw them in, they'll die. To this, to this the, the older man hearing this said, but young man, but young man, young man, I don't want to interrupt what you're doing, but don't, don't you realize there are miles upon miles of beach and there are thousands upon thousands of starfish along every mile. He said, you, you can't possibly make a difference. At this, the young man bent down, picked up yet one more starfish, threw it into the ocean. And as it met the water, he turned to the old wise man. He says, it made a difference for that one. See, my brothers and sisters. Are you making a difference for the one you can make a difference for? Do what you can, when you can, as often as you can. I want to conclude real quickly because God calls us to be difference makers. He calls us the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, not your disputes, not who you hate, not who hating on you, not who did you wrong, but see your good deeds, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Can I give you, as I conclude the story here, here's what the story shares. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. These four men made the difference in one man's life and he says, your sins are forgiven. And he saw their faith and the man was healed. There's further dispute in the, in the house, uh, the house revival that Jesus is hosting because some says, who has the power to forgive sins? And Jesus was using those words to make a point. I, I do. <laughs> I, I'm that dude. Can I now close with this charge and challenge? If you're going to make a difference, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to make the difference by being willing to be interrupted, even disrupted, by, by, by having the heart to say, how are you going to use these frail hands to touch somebody else's life? You got to be willing to change your mindset, your attitude on how God has created you to be the difference in someone's life. And then you have to find how you can do all the good you can, when you can, as often as you can, even if it means one person that can help you, that you can help with your can. So can you? That's the challenge. Church, can we be the church that helps people to make a difference by becoming aware of who God called them to be? I want to pray for those of you who are listening, because notice this text of scripture. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you are fighting to get back to the place of God being the center of your life and the center of your your existence because whatever reason you drifted. And now you're finding yourself saying, I need to get back. Or you're finding yourself saying, I need the Lord Jesus in my heart. Would you pray this prayer with me if you are that person who is in that place where you are like the man being lowered down through the ceiling to simply be in the presence of Jesus? If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Heal me of the sins that I've committed and the acts that I've done wrong. I confess you as Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Make me new again. In Jesus' name. My friends, if you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the family of God. It's a great, 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 great choice on this beautiful day. Got some wonderful people in our chat box that would love to engage with you. So just go ahead and click on the link. They'll pray with you. There's a Zoom link there. One of our prayer counselors are on the other side of that Zoom link. You can get face-to-face prayer. For those of you who've tuned in, thank you. I'll see you next week. God bless. Your generosity makes it possible for us to continue to lead people all over the world to become fully devoted followers of Christ. You can be confident that each gift that you give here at Living the Word Church goes directly toward our purpose of building victorious disciples of Jesus Christ. We've developed a convenient method of giving right on our website. You can even set up recurring giving and trust that your gifts will be counted and not forgotten. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Bring a friend and meet us next week. Great week.